This morning as we turn in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, I invite you to open your Bibles this morning as we continue and take the teaching that Christ has given concerning the Lord being our shepherd. And so in light of that, I want to remind you last week of how Jesus was telling the Pharisees that they couldn't hear him because they were not his sheep, because his sheep hear his voice. And so this morning, as we continue in reading John chapter 10, 20 through 22 through 42, we're going to hear Jesus amplify more on that teaching about the shepherd's voice. And I want to ask if you would join with me in our tradition of standing as we read the the word of God. We're beginning in verse 22, and I think that slide is one slide too far. Nope, that's it. Well, I'm going to start at verse 22 and then pick up from that slide. So let's read together. Uh, Then came the the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And then verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. And then on the screen, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because because you, you do not believe, excuse me, because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father, for which... Of these do you stone me? We're not, we are not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said to you, you are gods? And if he calls them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside... What about the ones whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said I am God's son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And there he stayed, and many people came to him. And they said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that, and in that place, many believed in Jesus. This is the word of God. You may be seated. 
there was a couple who, uh, who were getting advanced in age. They were in their 50s, and the husband had a really horrible time. He, he started taking some medication that caused him to have problems of sleepwalking. Have any of y'all had sleepwalking incidents? I did. One time I had a sleepwalking innocence when I actually walked through my entire house and, and my wife had to come and get me and bring me back to the bed. It's never happened again, but it was the weirdest sensation. And as I talk to doctors about this, they tell us that, uh, that sleepwalking is a condition that happens to some disturbed mind. In other words, you have something that is unresolved in your life and sleepwalking is a way in which our bodies kind of react to it. Well, this woman just wouldn't have it. She would not have it at all. She was so tired of her husband getting up and sleepwalking, she began to think of ways to try to stop it. And so the first thing she did was she put, uh, she put a chair beside the bed as he would wake up and his sleepwalking fits. She was thinking he'd hit the chair and then sit down and then she would be able to put him back in bed. Well, that didn't work. He got up and he just moved the chair aside and then walked away. Uh, she said, okay, well, that's fine. I'm going to put down something that will stop him. I'm going to put down some, some uh, eggshells so I'll know that when he gets out of the bed, he'll walk on the eggshells and I will, I will immediately recognize it. So the next night she put out the eggshells, unbeknownst to him, and she waited and waited and sure enough, he got up. But instead of, instead of walking on the eggshells, he actually intentionally missed every eggshell on the floor. Well, she got so frustrated, she thought, okay, what in the world am I going to do? Finally came up with an idea. While he was sleeping, she tied his legs together. And to make sure that he didn't get out of bed, she tied her own ankle to the other end of the rope. Well, you know what happened, don't you? He got up the next night, he fell out of the bed, and she fell on top of him. And when he looked at her, he said, what in the world are you doing? She said, oh, honey, I was just trying to add spice to our life. I don't know about you, but I think one of the things that is happening in the church today is you and I are sleepwalking. He said, Robert, what do you mean? I said, well, when you hear this passage of Scripture, Jesus is telling us that his sheep hear his voice. Now, is he saying that we're crazy? Is Jesus suggesting that, that people who follow him are, are people who hear voices? I, I was interested to hear someone tell me the other day that they felt like the Lord was telling them to do something. Have you ever heard that? And so one of the things that you and I have as, as people of faith who are called to discernment, you and I must be careful that we are able to distinguish what is really the Lord's voice in our lives and what isn't. When I was in high school, I was attending a youth group, and there was this really ugly guy, and I'm not kidding you. He, made, he defined the word ugly. He, he, he was a guy who was lanky. He, he really was not someone who on the appearance was attractive. He was a wonderful personality, but his appearance was one that women did not gravitate to. And one night in the, in the youth group meeting as we were doing a Bible study, he looked over at Virginia and said, Virginia, God just told me you're supposed to marry me. And she ran out of the room crying because she thought God told, her, told him that I'm supposed to marry him. She thought that was it. And a girl followed her wisely and said, Virginia, what's the matter? She said, I'm, I have to marry this guy and live with him the rest of my life. And this wise guy, friend said to her, well, Virginia, did God tell you you're supposed to marry him? And she goes, no. 
I said, well, then you better check out whose voices he's hearing. You see, that's the problem we're facing in our day. Because we have come to an, a time in the history of our country where people are hungry to hear from God. They're hungry. And people are turning to all kinds of mediums to do that. All kinds. You think it's been bad so far, just wait till about five years from now when you're going to see people who have believed that no longer the church can speak for God, they're going to be turning to other venues to try to hear who the living God is. And so when you read this passage, you begin to realize Jesus is teaching us something that's extremely important. And it begins, first of all, most importantly, it begins with this whole setting of the festival of dedication. You know, most of my life I have seen this emblem. Do you know what this is? This is called a menorah. And it is one of two, two symbols that is used in the Jewish faith. The other is the Star of David. And the Star of David, of course, is the recognition that David was king and they're looking for a king who would descend from David who will be Messiah. But the menorah is something that is really unknown to most Christians, but yet we see it every year during the festival of Hanukkah. And during that festival of Hanukkah, that time is not spelled out in the Old Testament as a festival that God gave to the Jews to observe after they left Egypt. The festival of Hanukkah, or the dedication, the festival of dedication, is a winter festival of singing and dancing and celebration. And it celebrates for the Jews that time where they were under an occupation by what would be then a Syrian or Greco-Syrian uh, power. In other words, Jerusalem was conquered and the temple itself was defiled because one of those kings who conquered them began to take pigs and sacrifice them on the altar of God, which was completely abomination according to the Old Testament teaching. And not only was the sacrifice of pigs on the altar done, but the blood of those pigs was even spread across the, the very sacred scrolls of, of the Old Testament. And so it got so bad, it got so horribly oppressive that a group of four brothers who were called Maccabees rose up and they overthrew. They literally caused an insurrection that caused those rulers who ruled them to be thrown out of Jerusalem. And for the first time since the time of King David, the people of Israel were free of oppression. It was almost as if the Messiah had come and restored the kingdom. That was their hope. The most amazing thing that happened during this time is that the Maccabees cleansed the temple. They went in and restored everything as far as the worship of God. The only thing that was lacking was they only had enough oil to burn in what were columns that towered above the temple floor that were lights to be perpetually burning as a sign of God's presence among his people. And in that presence, they were to remember that their God was with them. But the problem was, after cleaning the temple and restoring it, there was only enough oil to burn for one day. And the miracle 
that sets apart that symbol in the Jewish faith is that that oil that was only enough for one day's worth of light shone for eight days. And for them, it was a miracle that God's presence truly is with them. It's in that setting that this man, Jesus, comes during this particular festival and he begins to tell people to believe in him. And the Jews either do or they don't. The most amazing part of this is the challenge was simply this. Those who didn't believe in him came to him and said, all right, tell us the truth. Tell us who you really are. Tell us what you're all about. Why are you here? Why did you come? What was your attention, Jesus? Can we truly believe in you? Isn't that the question most people are asking today? You know, the whole reason of starting this, this idea of reaching a, a, a culture that doesn't come to church is that we recognize that most people who are outside of the church are not walking near you in the context of your neighborhood or wanting to hear about Christ. And so the session is praying that as we work on this outreach that we're going to be reaching people who are not coming to church. Why? Because those are the people that Christ has sent us to touch. And what we're going to have to see as a church is more creative ways of reaching into our community to people who will never darken the door of this church. But they're asking the question, who is God? And so when you and I think about this challenge that Jesus is facing and you turn back to that chapter, when they came to him and said, tell us plainly, who are you? Jesus' response was very clear. He said, you already know the answer. Why? Because I told you. Notice how he put it. I told you. How did he tell them? He said, the works that I do in my Father's name testify about me. And it was true that as he healed people who were blind, as he touched people who were sick, as he would raise Lazarus from the dead, he gave testimony that he was indeed from God. But in their view, he was still just a man. And they did not believe he was the one that God had promised. And then Jesus explains why. He says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. What does he mean by that? Well, interestingly enough, Jesus has made it very clear that when you and I teach the gospel to people, when we share about what Christ did on the cross for them, we are not responsible for how people respond to that message. We cannot change anyone's mind. Did you know that? We can't force people to believe in Christ, but we can share, them, share with them what Christ did for us why he came, what he did on the cross, and why his resurrection means life eternal for us. And when we do that, we are being faithful to the calling of Jesus Christ. It is all in God's hands as to whether that message changes their heart. I was talking with an elder in this church who probably had grown up in church most of his life, and he said that at the point where Christ became real to him was at night in a motel room when he opened up a drawer and found a Gideon Bible. That's just one way. There are numerous ways this happens. 
And you see, so often we think in the church that we've got to get something right. We've got to put some program together. We've got to, we've got to have some kind of music that does something. No, no, that's not it. My friends, the power of the gospel is when you're willing to tell people what Christ has done for you and let God work in their lives. That's what changes people's hearts. But these people... The Jews who came to Jesus, they were already set against him. Why? Because they had already decided they were going to kill him, as John shares earlier in the gospel. It's really quite sad. And so in sharing this message that Jesus says, I've told you plainly, he does two things. He first of all reveals that he truly is the Messiah, that he's the one that God has sent to bring about the salvation to his people. But secondly, it goes in verse 31 through 39 that Jesus is the Son of God. And here's where it gets kind of murky in understanding this passage. Because as we read it, I'm sure you felt the strain of this. Well, what does he mean? What is Jesus saying? If you go back to verse 31 and you read that, it says that, that Jesus is really pointing to something that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. He says, again, the Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said, why are you going to stone me? And then verse 33, why are you, we are not stoning you for any good works, meaning things that show that you're the Messiah, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Look at verse 34. Is it not written in your law, I have said to you, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside... What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am a God? What is Jesus saying? Well, it goes back to Psalm 82. And he's quoting a passage where God is speaking to the children of Israel. And he's reminding them that because he is their God and he is in their presence, that as they go and bear his name before the face of the earth, that they are his children he calls them his firstborn in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. That God's calling of these people, the Jews, was so that they would be a witness of God and his presence in the world to all those who were unbelieving. And so when Jesus claims to be the Son of God, he approaches his opponents by first reminding them that they were called to be the representatives of God in the world. That the whole purpose of God bringing them out of the exodus of Egypt was that they might stand before the world proclaiming the one true God. And now, at the Feast of Dedications, when they would light the light in the temple that would display God's presence among them for eternity, the one who is the light, John says in chapter 1, has come into the world, is now in their presence. They don't see it. In fact, they hate it. They want to kill him. You see, the point that Jesus is making in those passages is that the scripture shows how God has given to the Jews this knowledge of who he is. And by that, they are his firstborn. So now, God has so blessed them with the presence of himself in Jesus Christ that while they are standing there condemning him, they are condemning the very thing they had been hoping to see or at least believe God would do. You say, why? Because they don't hear his voice. 
his sheep hear his voice and follow him. Have you ever heard of the doctrine of election? It's a doctrine we teach in, in our, our faith. It really points out that our salvation is not really our work. It is God's work. It is that work where God allows the gospel to be proclaimed through us. And there will be many who will receive it and many who will reject it. Why? Why some receive and why some reject? Because God so moves in the heart of those who hear it that those who hear the shepherd's voice repent and believe in Jesus. When I first came to this church in 1994, we supported the Billy Graham effort to reach a crusade in Charlotte. Do you all remember that? It was a time when all the churches in this area said, let's get as many people as we can into a Panther Stadium and preach the gospel and see what happens. There were, interestingly enough, over 45,000 people every night in that stadium. And yet when you looked at the numbers of people who came forward, they were small in comparison to those in attendance. Why? Well, probably a lot of those in attendance already believed in Christ. But it still struck me as how peculiar our calling is. You see, the power of this church is not on a program that we have. The power of this church is not based upon the number in attendance. The power of this church is not based upon how much we have in the bank. The power of this church is based upon the message we have, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so when you and I look at our culture, and it's so divided. Why is it divided? Because there are people who really believe in churches that the only hope of our country is that we elect the right people. Well, I want you to know, we could elect all the right people, and we'd still be on the road to hell. Why? Because the natural gravitation of humanity is on that road that leads to perdition. There is no salvation for us apart from Jesus Christ. And the moment we concede that, the moment we begin to think any other way than Christ alone, we're going to see our culture continue to grow in its influence in leading our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren away from the church. The Jews are still around today because they are God's chosen people. Did you know that? God gave them promises that he's going to keep. Paul writes in Romans and says that we are given this gift of a relationship with God through Christ to make them jealous because it's a relationship they were always supposed to have but cannot have until they come to Christ. That's a tremendous statement, isn't it? And so as we come and we gather in this place, we do not gather to entertain ourselves, to make ourselves feel good, to, to somehow leave and feel that we've done something noble or right. We, we come in this place to reaffirm that our only hope is in Jesus Christ and to trust him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the work that God has done for us that we would believe in God and the one he has sent. 
And so Jesus' claim is so powerful because he tells them, listen, I am your Messiah, yes, but I am also your Lord, the one who comes to lead you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. As Messiah, he does that to bring us salvation for our sins. As Son of God, he comes to be the one who leads you in the way of everlasting life, that presence where Christ is with us no matter where we go. Now think of this for a minute, just think. Think of the time you were tempted this week. The time when you just felt such a temptation to go into something you knew was wrong. Did you ever have the momentary thought that Christ was there with you? It's amazing, isn't it? Would it lessen or increase the temptation? The most amazing thing in the Christian battle for us is that we are now born of God. And because of that, there's no place we can go away from God's presence. So if some of you are looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at, you have this uncanny voice speaking to you saying, turn it off, walk away, don't do that. Who is that voice? It's Jesus. If you have this voice telling you, look, don't hold this grudge, forgive Make it right. Who is that voice at work in you? It's Jesus. If you have something urging you to come to worship or to confess a sin, who is that speaking to you? It's, it's Jesus. This is the whole message that Christ is trying to bring to those Pharisees who can't understand it. Why? Because they can't hear his voice. They are too set on their own agenda. And here's the danger. That's where God cannot work, is where people set their hearts against him. If you go back and you look in the Old Testament, wherever you saw the people being warned, listen to God. Don't harden your heart. The day you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. There really is this understanding that you and I can hear God speak to us, but then say, mm -mm, no, I'm not doing that. And in that moment, we, we diminish God's power at work in us because of unbelief. Well, what happened because of the unbelief? Well, Jesus went back to Jordan. What do I mean? Well, go back and look. He says it goes, he went back to the place where John first baptized. What was John doing in the wilderness? He was calling people to repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Repent. And there were many people who recognized that their lives did not match their profession of knowing God. And they said to themselves, I need to be cleansed. And they went to that Baptist service. They took part of what he did in the Jordan and he would dunk them into that water so that they would begin to prepare to walk in the kingdom of God. That's where Jesus returned to. Why, why did he do that? To remind the Pharisees of why he came. He came to restore the sinner and offer forgiveness to those who were stained and ultimately to bring God's presence, his eternal life into you. 
so that every day of your life you would walk in the confidence that you know that God loves you. And he asks you to hear him and follow him and love him with all your heart. I can't do that without Jesus. I just can't. And so, how do we go forward? Well, here's the beauty of this. When Jesus went to the cross and when he was raised from the dead, he told the disciples, I will send the Holy Spirit who will be in you and he will lead you into all things. That's why Paul writes in Romans, he says, if God be for you, who could be against you? You see, you have everything you need to follow Christ this morning if you've asked him into your life. You have everything you need. Say, so, well, Robert, what about my marriage? It's on the rocks. Let me tell you, you start following Christ, he will heal your marriage. Say, well, what about my business? I'm, I'm dealing with some people who aren't Christians. Let me tell you, if you will put Christ first, he will bless your work. There's the rub, isn't there? Do I truly believe in him? Mark Sonati was a member of this church for a long time. And as he drew to his last days, he began to talk with me about various things. But one of the things that he said was, I've really started watching a program lately called Dr. Phil. And I said, why, why are you watching Dr. Phil? He said, well, everybody else does. So I thought I'd listen to him and find out what Dr. Phil was like. And he said, you know, it, it's almost addictive. I said, what do you mean, Mark, it's addictive? He said, it's almost to the point I can't wait to hear what Dr. Phil says to these people who are living stupid, crazy lives. And I said, well, do you think he, they're getting good answers? And he said, no, but he said the temptation is really powerful to think that anyone, including Dr. Phil, can fix my problems. Do you know there's been an increase of attendance of people going to counseling? Do you know there's been an increase of suicides in our culture? Do you know that? People are looking for answers, my friend. And the only one that can satisfy them is Jesus. And you, you are God's vessels to be poured out so he people hear the hope of Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and our Father, as we pray this morning and we begin to think about our lives and the reaching of this community, um, it is so inappropriate for us to condemn people who are lost in sin. We are not God, and we certainly are not paragons of virtue. No, the only hope that we can offer this community is the hope that we have of Jesus Christ. 
And we pray, Father, that you would not allow our church to go through the years sleepwalking through what we believe. But that as we draw closer to this message of Christ, we would take seriously his promise that when we are so bold to witness for Christ, that his sheep hear his voice and are drawn to him. That the Father who draws them gives them to the Son, just as he has given each of us to Christ. And more importantly, Lord Jesus, that when we belong to you, it is not because we were smart or wise or born in the right families, but we, we were chosen before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. God, I pray that you would not let us be ashamed of the gospel. I pray, God, that you would not make us ashamed of Jesus so that people might hear and believe not only through us, but by our testimony of what you have done. And for that reason, our humble prayer is, Lord, as a shepherd, lead us to steal waters and green pastures, but don't allow us to become fat on your word. Allow us to be lean and ready to be those who gladly proclaim that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, Amen. Amen.